What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy 360 Network by Intercom. Excited to be bringing you this exclusive interview with Netherlands. So an awesome, awesome interview. Before I do that, quick clerical work, please. If you're not subscribed to the Energy 360 Network by Intercom, you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. It's the best way to stay updated on all of your energy thought leadership. You can also find all of the stuff at the world's greatest website, www.oilandgas360.com. You can also subscribe to the 360 Digital Closing Bell, which is hosted by me, which is the best way in my opinion to stay updated on everything from an energy finance perspective we drop long form shows every monday and friday you can subscribe on itunes spotify please do subscribe subscribe do whatever makes the algorithms go nuts we appreciate all the support you've been giving us here at oil and gas 360 this interview we have with netherlands sewell was just so awesome. These guys are worldwide petroleum engineering consultants. They focus on pricing data for SEC. If you have any questions on reserves, please, please, please go to them. They also are just technical and non-technical consultant services around the reservoir, around the completion side. They have an expert, expert panel that they were able to bring on today. Senior Vice President Rick Talley and Vice President John Cliver sat down with Aaron Vanderford, who's president of Entercom, and Stuart Turley, who's the director and publisher of the world's greatest website, www.oilandcast360. And they had a far-reaching conversation on what shut-ins and how that really affects a lot of the public oil and gas uh, SEC statements that need to get, get put out, all of your reservoir analysis that goes forward. How are all of these shut-ins ha happening? They bring up a really cool balking case study. You'll be able to see some slides there. But I don't want to go ahead and spoil too much, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Stu to kick it off. Hey everybody, we're here with Netherlands Hill. We've got the team here. We've got Rick, John, and Aaron with Intercom. You guys having a great day today? Yeah, doing great. How about yourself? Hey, doing fantastic. And uh, Rick, where are you at? I'm in Houston, at home. At home, nice. And uh, John, where are you at? At home in, uh, in uh, Houston Heights as well. Oh. And uh, Aaron, you're up in Denver. It looks like you're in Denver, and I'm happy to be in our office today. It's quiet in our office. We got a small team, but uh, happy to be sitting in an office this morning. That sounds great. Well, as you can see, I'm in my studio in Dallas. And uh, Aaron, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you to start kicking off the questions and uh, start rolling with the Netherlands Sewell team. Yeah, no, absolutely. I wanted to get uh, this team together as we've been getting questions, and I, I'm sure Netherlands Sewell's been getting questions in and around shut-ins and these curtailments. And certainly we've, we've had a lot of discussion on what these curtailments may mean from a supply and demand perspective, but it's also important to think about what it means from a reserves and, and asset level perspective. And so I think uh, let's spend the next little bit of time discussing what that looks like from Netherlands Sewell's perspective and how you're working with clients. And so Rick, maybe I'll start with you. You know, I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions as we are. What kind of questions have, have your clients been, been reaching into you about on this idea of curtailments and shut-ins? Yeah, Aaron. Um, well, first, thanks, thanks to you and the Intercom team for having us. We're, we're happy to be here and speaking. Um, but really from the question perspective, we've been getting, you know, questions from clients and non-clients and really, two types of questions, those from uh, EMP companies and then those from their financial backers, whether it be PE, banks, et cetera. So seeing questions kind of coming from both sides. I will say on the industry side, we've, we've listened to several webinars and things talking about kind of the risks of shutting in wells and why, while we agree with those risks and they do exist, you know, we've, we've endeavored to look and, 
and see really if those risks are material. And so I think we'll show you all some things and, and we've done some work, but really showing that, that the effect is not particularly material, but there are certainly things to think about. From the EMP side, I think the main questions have been about uh, reserve classification, so shifting things from PDP to PDNP, um, certainly been something that we're talking about as people approach mid-year with shut-in wells. And then equally important is how these shut-ins affect reserves. And so is it, is it just the deferment of the reserves and pushing them out a little bit in time, or is, is there a change? And that's really the kind of the work we've done to, to try to get comfortable with how to answer that question. Um, so we'll talk about that study work, I, I think, a bit more. And then really from the investors, in addition to the questions I just mentioned, uh, questions about how to get start the wells back up and really if there's any risks, either from a rate standpoint or from a cost standpoint that folks should be thinking about as, uh, as the wells are reactivated. Well, that's good. Well, let's dive into to some of those and, and I'm sure we'll get uh, interest, uh, interesting questions uh, on all of those fronts. And so what might we expect to see from a company's SEC reserve perspective uh, if, if significant amounts of their production remain shut in for a, you know, a longer period of time, say through next filing season? Yeah, so from an SEC perspective, um, you know, surprisingly, it, at least in the near term, you, the effect may not be, uh, be as material as one may think. And, and part of that's because of the way the SEC does pricing. And so as, as the listeners largely know, they use a 12-month uh, look back on, uh, on pricing to estimate where reserves will be calculated. And while the strip now is somewhere you know, around $30 a barrel and inclining, SEC price right now is closer to $50 a barrel. So from that perspective, uh, the impact's less for SEC filers or public companies. Uh, so that's one thing to think about. But in terms of write-downs, um, you know, it may not be uh, too impactful. That said, for marginal oil plays, you may see things. When we really think about the strip pricing and how that'll affect uh, reserves, it's certainly more material. And I I think there's a couple things. One, with the price down, you'll have reserves that, that cut off aren't, or aren't economic. Um, and then really there's the, the discussion of PUDs. So uh, with these commodity price changes, certainly companies are rethinking their development plans. And so that will have an impact on PUDs, uh, both because at lower prices, the PUDs may not be economic or uh, there's a reduction in PUDs to kind of meet the five-year development plan. One thing we will note is, is that while these are significant or more significant for oil players, you know, we've seen a lot of, of gas-centric companies that really aren't seeing much of an effect on their development plans. So as we think about this, that, that effect for gas companies may be uh, quite a bit more muted. Yeah, and we've certainly seen from our, our conversations with investors, there, there is a true distinction between these gas and these oil names. Uh, particularly in, in today's market. You know, John, I want to get you kind of involved in this conversation a little bit here and, and see what implications you are seeing for not just the SEC case, but really just from a company reserve perspective uh, as these shut-ins and we think about time and duration, what what are some of the things that, that you're going to see from a company perspective uh, with your clients? 
Yeah, Aaron. So uh, Rick talked a lot about uh, SEC reserves. So those are reserves that are prepared uh, in accordance with the SEC definitions. And uh, really, the SEC only differentiates between developed and undeveloped reserves. Um, so when we talk about wells that were producing and now shut in, those are all kind of proved developed reserves. Um, so we look to the PRMS, which is another set of definitions that, that we use really commonly um, to, to distinguish between um, or subcategorize those, uh, those proved developed reserves. Um, so within uh, those subclassifications, you have PDP, proved developed producing, and PDNP. And so, uh, you know, a company that's just flowing their wells uh, like, like normal and, uh, you know, at the effective date, the wells are flowing just, uh, you know, those are going to be PDP, obviously. Um, wells that, uh, you know, a situation right now that we're in is, is some folks are flowing their wells, um, you know, maybe just a few, few days a month, you know, in order to, to maintain leases and that kind of thing. Um, and so uh, if that's kind of the mode of operation, then we would still classify those reserves as, as PDP reserves. Um, we might need to make some modifications to the rates to be kind of realistic with what kind of volumes are going to be sold kind of throughout the month. Uh, but those are still going to stay in PDP. Um, and then in PDNP, um, the PRMS uh, reserves definitions uh, kind of subclassifies those as either behind pipe, so kind of uphole recompletes, um, or shut-in. You know, shut-in being uh, wells that were just completed but not yet online, wells that are shut-in, you know, that were previously producing but are shut-in because of market conditions. So that's the exact situation we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Or wells that are shut-in for mechanical reasons. And, uh, and so typically, um, when we do our reports, we kind of lump all of those things into the PDNP uh, line item and, uh, you know, they get summed together. Um, now, we're anticipating that because there could be material amounts of uh, proved developed shut-in reserves, um, we're thinking that we might want to bust out the, the PDNP category into a more granular level to kind of differentiate between those wells that we're producing and shut-in, um, which should carry very, very low risk. Um, to, to bring back online versus things that are kind of uphold recompletes that you know maybe have a little bit more uncertainty. So, from an overall proved developed perspective, um, we're, we're thinking that the reserves are going to stay whole, but we're thinking that uh, there may be some reclassifications, um, some rebucketing, if you will, um, that we might be taking into account come mid year. Absolutely, and I know that'll be top of mind from that reclassification as as some companies go through from the financing side and and those borrowing base redeterminations and where are those, those going to be thinking about uh, from a risk standpoint, particularly from capital? And so when you think about those reserves being whole, as you mentioned, how do you go through and forecast production on these wells that have been shut in for a period of time? And, and what, what are some of the thoughts we need to be thinking about there? Yeah, so when we put, uh, put these reserves into a, a, a report, um, you know, the first thing we need to know for forecasting them is when, when we expect everything to be back online kind of at full capacity, right? So um, I think uh, everybody would agree that we're in really uncertain times and nobody knows exactly when uh, everything's going to be back up and running. But, um, you know, we, we would look to our clients to give us some guidance on kind of, you know, when they think the wells are going to come back online. So that's, that's kind of number one, when does the revenue restart? Um, but then in terms of how we actually forecast the rates um, after the shut-in is going to be dependent on kind of the type of reservoir, um, the, the drive mechanism, the play, you know, we're we talking about oil or gas, strong water drive, weak water drive, old wells, new wells, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so the forecasts are going to be dependent on the circumstances. Um, you know, NSAI looks at uh, reservoirs all over the world in all types of environments. So for example, for deep water wells, we have all kinds of measurements being taken kind of constantly on those wells, you know, high resolution gauges and that kind of thing. 
In those instances, we might have really good data resolution to be able to do a detailed forecast um, about what's going to happen when the well comes back online. Um, you know, in other areas, we might be working strictly off of public data um, where we only have kind of oil rates and uh, to forecast. Um, so, um, in general, though, I mean, except for in certain circumstances like steam floods or, or maybe some CO2 floods, that kind of thing, you know, we expect, um, you know, the post shut in production to be pretty similar to what it was doing kind of pre shut in. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where we would start. Um, and then we would go kind of to the next level of detail, um, you know, as the data permit. Yeah. And, and, and so staying on this data concept, as we think about, you know, certainly on certain times and, and you guys are trying to add a level of, of certainty, if you will, or confidence to this data, what gives you guys the confidence in the, the data? And obviously it's different from play to play in your forecast and, and how have you gone through that? And, and, and this isn't the first time you guys have done this, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, as reservoir engineers, we're constantly dealing in the world of, of uncertainty and, uh, and we like to say that, you know, the more data you have and then the more types of analyses that you can do on that data, you know, the better your answer is going to be kind of the, the narrower the range of uncertainty. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, again, it is um, dependent on the circumstances, but, you know, uh, one thing that we like to use a lot is, is analogy. So we'd like to look at, you know, when wells uh, like these were shut in in the past and what they did uh, at that point. Um, you know, in, in some instances, we look at things like the productivity index as a function of the cumulative production, and that can give us some guidance, um, you know, as to even if the well comes back on at a restricted rate or, or that type of thing, um, you know, we can, we can use those types of techniques to forecast kind of what that does uh, over time. Um, you know, uh, as we started looking at this, um, we started looking at kind of various plays, and, and we've got some slides here uh, for some work that we did in the Bakken, which might il illustrate kind of our thought process. And so when we looked at the Bakken, we were um, kind of thinking of a two-pronged approach. Um, so one was sort of like the uh, 30,000 foot view, uh, where we tried to look at all 16,000 wells in the basin. Um, and we tried to scour that data, data mine a little bit to try to find instances where wells were shut in for several months uh, at a time. And uh, you know what did they do pre and post shut in? Now in, in most of these unconventional plays, uh, these wells get shut in because um, uh, they're off. They're they're fracking offset wells. They've just drilled some new wells and they're they're fracking. You've got to shut in to kind of protect your existing producers. But that's not always the case, and that's what we found. Um, we we looked through all the Bakken data and we we selected about 550 examples of, of shut in instances, and we analyzed those and categorized them as kind of um, you know what happened post shut in with the rates and. Uh, and we found that you know over 90% or around 90% of the uh, of the wells came right back on you know at or above the rates they were at kind of pre-shut in. Um, so that gave us some comfort. You know, very few of the wells didn't come back on at all. You know, so that was uh, you know some additional comfort. Um, and then uh, you know, so that was kind of our 30,000 foot view. Um, then we also wanted to do some detailed work on kind of some specific wells to really get a better understanding of what's going on in the reservoir during the shut-in. So. Uh, we've got another slide showing, um, you know, just some some screen grabs from some reservoir simulation work that we did um, on a particular um, a particular area in the Bakken, and we looked at several different areas uh, and several different, you know, outside of the Bakken as well. Um, or we had some historical data data with wells coming online at different points in time, and we kind of start used this reservoir simulation, which then was history matched to the pr production and pressure. 
um, to really see kind of how the pressure was varying throughout the reservoir at different points in time. And so then we started using that as sort of a, a thought exercise on, you know, if, if wells were shut in when there was only one well in the section, uh, if that well was shut in, you know, how would that look, you know, post shut in? You know, what if you had three wells in the section, what would that look like when all three of them were shut in? What would it look like if you shut in one well and you kept flowing the others, that kind of thing. So, um, so, so uh, the good news is that when we did that, um, you know, the, the results were really consistent with what we found at the 30,000 foot view, uh, looking at things kind of just from a more statistical perspective. So, you know, when we get, get kind of the same answer, looking at things from a few different perspectives, uh, that makes us feel, you know, pretty good about the answer being pretty reliable. And Aaron, I may just add, so we have looked at it in these two ways, and I do think that the important thing is the results, obviously. We've done the technical work to, to support it, but really showing that the shut-ins, the impact of that isn't particularly material. So from a reserves perspective, there are some things to think about. But in this Falcon example, nothing to be too particularly alarmed about in terms of reactivating the wells. We've also done this similar exercise in other basins, so recognizing that not all basins are analogous to the Bakken. So there are any questions that any of your, your listeners have, we're certainly happy to, to walk through that analysis that we've done in other basins and the results from that, if, if anyone would find that helpful. But we certainly wanted to do the work from a technical perspective to get, to get comfortable with these conclusions. No, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, we, we get the <clears throat> constant feedback that, you know, particularly in and around Nettle and Sewell's work, there's, there's a lot of comfort that comes in this uncertainty and, and the work that you guys are doing, I think you just explained that it's not just one thing or two things. There's a lot of different data points to be thinking about that give you a little bit of confidence to, to come up with a specific company's situation. And so I, I appreciate that perspective, absolutely. What are some of the other considerations or things that, that, that investors or companies should be thinking about when they're looking at reserve reports in this type of environment and, and some of the things we may be seeing here coming up? I think outside of the reserves piece, which we've talked about, the, the reactivation, really the, the other main component to be thinking about are costs. And so I, I think there's a lot of discussion in the industry about shutting in wells, what's the effect of costs? And then when you restart the wells, what do you expect the cost to look like to get those wells back online? And, and from our experience, and we have uh, uh, some graphics here shown on slide seven that show sort of notionally how we think about this impact. So the left is a three month shut in, the right's a 12. So hopefully we don't need to be thinking about the right, right plot here and we'll just focus on the left and the shorter term shut in. But effectively when you shut in, you're, you're deferring some of your workover costs and your variable costs since you're not producing. So you'll see basically the, the light blue and dark blue kind of go down to zero as you shut in and that fixed costs remain. And then when you restart, we do think there's some additional costs, some of those workover costs that have been deferred and also potentially some startup costs from, from wells that may need interventions just from the effects of shut in. But we don't expect that to be, again, too material and more importantly, too long-term. So, you know, the experience we've had, and again, this is grounded in, in what we've looked at with real data, yeah, we do think there'll be some some costs to think about and contemplate as you're thinking about bringing wells back online, but we don't think that's a long-term effect. Well, I think know. that's. Oh, sorry, Aaron. No, that, no worries. I was just going to say I, I I think that's a refreshing point of view that that you know there are some things to think about, and 
it's not the end of the world when we're shutting in these wells and, and these things can be uh, brought back online, brought back online well. And, and so I think that's a, it's an important component for things to be, for people to be thinking about uh, as we move forward through this, this low commodity environment. Yeah, I think I think that's right, and and really, you know, what we wanted to examine just to reiterate is the data, and so we we all have our feeling of what should happen, but we wanted to look at the data and and see that in fact in the Bakken, for example, there have been lots of shut-ins that have been somewhat extended not for non-frac purposes, and really the wells have recovered with with very minimal issue. You know, guys, this was absolutely a fantastic discussion with Netherlands Sewell, and I'd, I'd like to throw it back around to uh, Rick, John, and Aaron. Uh, Rick, what would you guys like uh, to give us a last round the horn thoughts? Because we covered an awful lot, and I just want to give you guys an opportunity to throw one last uh, uh, group of ideas out there. Uh, Rick, if you could start us off. Sure, yeah, I think as, as Aaron said, uh, you know, be thoughtful as we're we're entering this this arena and shutting in wells and and be thoughtful about how you're doing it and how you're going to bring them back online. But we don't see a lot of risk from a reserve standpoint uh, with this with this. So I think that's that's sort of our message and and we've done the technical work to support that. Yeah, and, and I guess I I would just say that uh, you know we've been doing a lot of studies on shutting in wells and that kind of thing. I think. Uh, all of us are just hoping that this is a very temporary situation and that, uh, you know, prices continue on an upward trend. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, how to drill more wells uh, come, you know, later in 2020 and everybody's back to work and, uh, and healthy. So. Aaron, yeah. any last thoughts? In I, I'll just echo John. I, I, I really appreciate uh, Rick Talley and John Cliver with Nellon Sewell coming on. And, and I hope that, that here in six months, we're talking about adding new wells and not shutting wells in, and, and uh, we can come back and have that discussion with you all. So, All right, we look forward to it. Sounds great, everybody, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks, guys. Thank okay. you.